Welcome to Dungeons and Drama Nerds. My name is Todd and I'm here today with Nick. Andy ho, neighborino. And Percy. <laughs> what a treat. Today we're celebrating the end of our second season. We'll be reflecting a little bit on our games and commentary and things that we're looking forward to discussing next season, as well as revealing the titles for next season. So stay tuned for that. Um, but to kick it off, Percy, what was like one of your top actual play moments this season? Um, throwing it all the way back to the beginning of our season with Blades in the Dark, um, my favorite specific moment was Ellery Crow kicking Philomela out of her gondola um, because she had to go do something else. But broadly, all of the various ways that Philomela's day got ruined in that game, all of the terrible, terrible things that the Silver Cowls did to poor Philomela. Um, uh, Nick, what about you? I, I just wanted to say I'm so happy that me playing an absolute asshole character led to such joy for everybody involved um, uh, I, I think my one of my favorite moments from the season was probably chad daystar played by mieko uh initiating the three-way makeout session with the lacrosse boys in odang bigfoot stole my car and then just sort of like gently slipping out of it and fading into the woods while they continued it was it was an astonishing moment to witness live and i think every delightful <laughs> bit of it made the transition to audio very well how about you todd yeah i think for me and maybe this is a small thing but when john john had preppy brian tranquilizer dart both bigfoot and shannon's character jerry um, that was like one of the best cut to blacks for me of the season. Just like very dramatic, very unexpected fun times for all. Um, and then I also just I loved the reveal of Alpha 9000 in our Lancer game. It was like so good and so fitting. And my big dumb brain could not see it coming at all. <laughs> I knew something weird was going to happen. And I did not think the cat was controlling the Bjorn the whole time. Um, and I think that's great. Yeah, every every uh, plot twist that Julia came up with was really delightful, I thought. What about uh, thinking back over our many commentary episodes this season? What were some of our favorite conversations or thoughts or provocations from season two? What about you, Percy? Um, I really, really liked our play discussion episode about Wolf Crush and the Antara Bangers, where we chatted about queerness and monstrosity. And I acknowledge this feels really biased, like it feels shitty for me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I really liked the conversation that we had with uh, Tristan and CJ about trans embodiment and mecha stories, which obviously is like very resonant to me personally. Um, but I think both of those commentary episodes really explored the relationship between narrative and genre and identity in really interesting uh, and robust ways. Yeah, I don't think that's biased at all. I think those were great episodes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I I also I have a really hard time choosing among all of our commentary episodes, but I I want to say I did love the interviews we did this season. I also really enjoyed though our conversations about violence. This was episode twenty five, moving towards mindful violence. And the kind of false binary between crunch and narrative in tabletop games. That was uh, episode nine. Narrative is the jelly. Uh, and and I, I just think both of those are topics that are sort that are important to me, particularly because they're so prevalent in tabletop game 
discourse and also because they I think in both cases we discovered that they're much more complicated than they might initially seem. I think this one's hard, but we had a really like we had a bunch of really clutch interviews that I really enjoyed. Um, I was very sad to not be there when you two interviewed Strix Beltran because um, it was such an incredible interview and she just seems like such a cool human and was also like, let's talk about LARPing in ways that I did not expect um, she would be into. But also our conversation with Mac Rogers um, was really exciting for me. And I think both of these people are kind of like at the poles of what we do. Like they're not um, really doing the other thing, although Strix is into some theater and I know Mac is into some game stuff. And it was really interesting to see like these two extreme views of the things that we're interested in this intersection of. And I'd just be really interested in having like more theater makers that are just like telling cool stories and more game designers that are like doing cool things in the form um, and seeing how we can imagine how those things could overlap. Um, it's just exciting to me. Cool. Uh, as our sort of final reflection uh, for this season, uh, what questions are you all excited about exploring in the intersection of theater and tabletop role-playing games? Uh, Todd, what about you? Yeah, so something that I've been thinking a lot recently after listening to an episode of My First Dungeon with guest Taylor Moore is like, what can the future of audience interactivity look like in both TTRPGs and theater? Um, as I've said on this podcast before, I've also often felt that for immersive theater to feel properly immersive, it has to take a lot of cues from video game design and like, how do we teach people rules without giving them a handbook? How do we push them towards interacting in ways that we want them to, knowing that there are constraints? Like, it would be bad if you tried to break down the walls of this building while you were in this game theater thing, but like, those are choices you could make. So how do we make like choices appealing for you? And how do we make choices that you can't do unappealing? Um, but I'm wondering in terms of like audience interactivity, particularly when we're looking at, uh, you know, tabletop streams and how people are trying to build an interactivity there. Um, but also in theater, like how are, are there ways that tabletop can teach us how to gamify the audience um, in ways that are exciting and fruitful and not just frustrating. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. Absolutely. I've been thinking about a, a lot about what it would mean for an audience in theater to be like kind of playful. And I think that interactivity is a big part of where that lives and that's uh, nested within. I don't know if that's exactly the right word, but like interactivity and immersion are very close cousins that don't necessarily overlap, but often do. Um, but I, I also have been wondering how our responses to games differ from the ways we respond to theater more broadly and what a playful audience might look like in theater, even for traditional theater, you know, kind of proscenium or black box theater production. There's a lot of ways that people's response to games differ, differ from their responses to capital A art. And I'm curious what would happen if we like tried to create an audience culture that was closer to the response to games, even for theater that would traditionally be construed as capital A art. Um, you know, like, what does it mean to playfully watch uh, Death of a Salesman, just to name one, like, you know, very <laughs> canonical. With Andre the Shields. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a wild uh, example. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm also kind of interested by this inverse. Like, what does a capital G game look like? Mm hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing because I don't know because games are are popular art and theater, particularly in the mm -hmm. United States, hasn't been for the most part for a while, except I would say for like Broadway musicals are sort of the closest that we come um, to to like truly popular art. And yeah, so that that kind of discrepancy and those different ways of receiving are interesting to me. But we've also seen attempts uh, a little bit what you were talking about, Todd, in the last couple of years. We've seen attempts by mainstream or like, I guess, sort of conventional regional theaters to produce theater that is kind of gameplay based uh, at Rattlestick, at the play company, I would even say at the public with 500 Highwaymen. Um, it's 600, so 600 Highwaymen. Think, sorry? It's 600 Highwaymen. Oh my God, what did I say? 500 highwaymen. Oh shit, I left out 100 of the highwaymen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Yes. Uh, in, in Sorry to, to me. those 100 men. <laughs> yes, apologies to those 100 uh, 16th century robbers. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, the, yes. Sorry. Thank you, Percy. The work of 600 highwaymen at the public theater. Um, and I think a lot of that has actually come about thanks partly to the pandemic because people have been experimenting with digital theater and with kind of different forms of theater and the limits on what you can do and breaking that idea of just like, there's a show over there and people watch it from over here. Um, and so I'm excited to see if and how those forms proliferate. Um, I'm going to take a sharp left turn <laughs> with the things that I'm excited to think about and, and talk about. Um, the thing that I've been thinking about a lot from this season that we sort of touched on here and there um, has to do with the genre, given that our five games this season have all had radically different genres, all with really, really strong conventions for each of them. So I'm thinking a lot about how does the container of genre help us know what to expect from a play or from a game? How do genre conventions shape both the way something is created and the audience's experience of that thing? Um, I'm just thinking a lot about uh, ways that I think in particular, as we've discussed many, many times when we demand that people put ghosts in their play, you cowards, um, you know, how can theater sort of embrace genre like that's something we talked about uh in the julia doolittle interview and something we talked about with mac rogers and all these things so how can theater sort of embrace this genre sort of thing um is something i'm particularly interested in and the other thing that i'm excited about that is happening in games and that we uh i would love for us to like dig into as a podcast is thinking about um the creation of physical artifacts of gameplay, which like frequently TTRPGs exist like in the mind. It's a fiction. It's it's this sort of um, ephemeral thing. But a lot of games are taking this turn towards like bringing elements of their of gameplay into physical space um, by creating things like in character journals or conspiracy theory boards um, or interacting with tarot cards or tokens or stickers. Um, I'm thinking specifically of Gian Shim's Connected Path and Keepsake Games. Um, and Possum Creek Games, uh, Yuzeba's Bed and Breakfast, which is like just finished uh, their campaign on Indiegogo and is coming out like later this year. So, yeah, that's something else I'm thinking a lot about is like in what ways can TTRPGs sort of interact with the real world? Because um, theater is so much about both the mix of like the ephemeral like play that is happening and also the tangible like 
we're physically in space together, interacting with physical things. Um, yeah. This also brings to mind, Nick, wasn't there a game you were talking about a while ago where like you tear out a page and put it in a different game? Ga games Lamprey or Lamprey. I actually don't know how you pronounce that <laughs> out loud, but yes. Yeah, absolutely. No, I was going to, I was actually going to say, uh, I can't remember offhand who wrote games Lamprey, but I'll, I'll look it up. But I was going to say, you see a lot of that um, in the like independent game scene and in some ways i feel like a lot of those games and this push toward kind of physical and or performative tabletop gaming is actually an interesting sort of third intersection where games are drifting toward like performance art yeah in a lot of ways you know game game lamprey which is by somebody whose itch handle is kumada one and whose name is not immediately obvious on their <laughs> itch page uh, but you can find them on itch uh, as kumada one but i was gonna say that game and a lot of games like that uh are are very performative you know they're in the sense of performance art they're not just about uh creating a fictional thing they're about actually doing a thing in the real world that simultaneously is the game um so that's really interesting to me yeah like j dragon sleepaway does this like when i said conspiracy theory boards that's what i meant where you have to you have to get like a physical cork board and you're like mapping out the summer camp that you're playing and in, in physical space and connecting things together and all of that stuff like it's very much the ritual of doing something together in a room yeah, yeah, and yeah. For those who don't remember what game Lamprey is, uh, you stick the page of it into the back of another TTRPG book, and then you can have the Lamprey be a parasite on that game if you it allows you to do something like reroll a d20, or I, I think you can adapt it to whatever system you're using, but it like gives you a benefit. But if you take the benefit, you have to randomly flip the pages of the core book rip one out throw it away and then you're never allowed to use the rules from that page while you're playing the game in the future <laughs> so like if you rip out a page in a DD manual that has like you know a bunch of spells on it you can never play you can never use those spells in any DD game in the future that's buck wild <laughs> that's the theory <laughs> you know this is giving me vibes of like legacy games mm -hmm. oh yeah um, like pandemic legacy betrayal legacy mm -hmm. etc mm -hmm. that are like uh, kind of taking tabletop games and making them campaign-esque by having like permanent ramifications of previous playthroughs um which is very interesting and then i'm also thinking percy in this like this object oriented and artifact oriented place um nick i think you've read s by doug dorst and jj yeah, i have also read s by um, doug dorst have you i just did <laughs> oh excellent so i read it god like a decade ago now um and just loved it it's so good um and it's like so good and so cool and i spent so much time after that thinking like how can we make theater that feels like this where like there is a show happening, but if you're paying attention to the right things, there is another show happening around you that's maybe commenting on the show that you're seeing. Um, 
And I don't know, I'm thinking about like, are there ways to make S feel like, to make a tabletop game feel like S? Yeah, which which links back to the audience interactivity thing that we were talking about, because I think there's something really cool, because like the reason that S is appealing is because you're both acting as the audience and you're also watching an audience react to it in real time. Mm -hmm. If you haven't read S, basically, it's it's a novel but there's also all of these margin notes and correspondence between two people reading the book, using it to sort of pass messages. Like it, it's about them reading this book, but also you're reading the book at the same time. If you aren't familiar, mm-hmm. it's worth reading. It's very good. And there's like encoded messages within the book that they're writing, but also there's encoded messages that are in like the footnotes of the book as printed. There's just a lot of really cool things happening as like, to me, it was one of the first books that I felt I encountered that thought about the book as object, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like, this page break is happening because I typed too many words on this page. And so they're spilling over onto the next one. And this was like, every footnote is intentional and like what page it's on means something. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's very similar. It's a sort of further elaboration on Vladimir Nabokov's Pale Fire if have either of you read that mm. oh i have not so so pale fire is i don't it's from you know the 1960s or something i don't know it's a nabokov um but it's a it, it is an epic poem with a forward and extensive end notes by this guy uh you know this guy who presents himself as a scholar working on you know a critical edition of the poem and you get the sense in the foreword that things are a little weird, but then as you read the poem and or the end notes, you you know uncover the story of this annotator oh. uh, as you read. You would like it, Todd. I love that. <laughs> you, that yeah, sounds great. Like um, <laughs> well, that's something that Yazeba's Bed and Breakfast is exploring is this legacy sort of idea because it's all pre-gen characters that you um, evolve over time. Like there's all these chapters in the game that you play and you use this to sort of advance character tracks and like advance the characters and you change things about it forever. So it's sort of like, it's playing with that like board game versus TTRPG distinction in a way that I think is really cool. But yeah, I I think there's something really exciting that links this in terms of, yeah, like audience experience and thinking about like, Oh, it's really cool to feel this sort of shared sense of being in an audience with other people, whether that be watching mm-hmm. an actual play stream and seeing the other players react to something in the same way that you're reacting to something or, um, yeah, getting to like see this artifact of somebody else's experience as you're experiencing the thing too. Mm-hmm. That's super cool. And now we wanted to peek behind the curtain at some of the wonderful things we've got cooking for you in the next season of Dungeons and Drama Nerds. First up, we're going to be playing a game of Thirsty Sword Lesbians, a setting agnostic action-packed game about relationships, romance, and daring by April Kit Walsh, published by Evil Hat Productions and Gay Spaceship Games. We're excited to dive into this delightfully queer and highly flexible game that continues our investigation of the Powered by the Apocalypse tradition. We're also thrilled to announce our cast for Thirsty Sword Lesbians, which will feature Gina Femia, Mieko Gavia, Percy Hornack, John John Johnson, Leo Mock, and will be run by Tess Youth. 
Our second game will be the cozy mystery game Brindlewood Bay by Jason Cordova. In this game, our players will take on the role of murder mavens, quiet, unassuming elderly women in a small town who have a habit of solving mysteries and are starting to uncover something even darker and more intriguing as they do. Our cast of murder mavens will be Chris Dirksen, Ben Ferber, Corey Flores, L.A. Rochen, Shannon Wade, and they will be GM'd by Meeks. Finally, we'll be wrapping up the season with the fantastical and pulse-pounding Arc, a Doom RPG by Ma Meadows, published in partnership with Exalted Funeral Games. In this game, heroes face off against an apocalypse, whether that's a change in climate, a warlord with an army of undead, or something even more dire. Players, not just PCs, have to race against the ticking clock because in Arc, time itself is a core mechanic. Our ill-fated adventurers are... Giovanni Camaño, Anthony Sertel-Dean, Romana Isabella, Nicholas Orvis, Dex Fon, and it will be GM'd by our very own Todd Brian Backus. Woo! And that's our season. You might notice we're only doing three games this coming year rather than five. While we loved getting to explore the huge variety of games we did this past year, it stretched our production capacity to the absolute limit. More importantly, we realized that we were missing the opportunity to explore games that use mechanics that carry across many sessions of play. Brindlewood Bay has a mechanic like that, and we'll be giving Brindlewood a little more room than the other two so we can watch how that story plays out. But that's not all. In addition to our new games, we also have a bunch of stuff in the works over on our brand spanking new Patreon. Right now, you can expect to get monthly solo play games from me, as well as interviews Percy and Todd are doing with members of our ensemble, and we hope to be able to announce even more behind-the-scenes goodies for you as Season 3 approaches. If you haven't subscribed yet, we'd really appreciate your consideration. And if you don't have the cash on hand to support a Patreon right now, consider leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice. It really helps us grow as a show. Speaking of our ensemble, we're expanding a little bit. In this upcoming season, we'll be bringing on a bunch of returning cast members as collaborators that will join us for commentary episodes and more. We're thrilled to be bringing on Christopher Dirksen, Ben Ferber, Corey Flores, Tess Huth, Romana Isabella, Leo Mock, and Dex Fan. Also, while we're playing fewer games this season, we're hoping to do some live one-shots for you that will allow us to mix it up with our new collaborators as well as the wonderful people we've played with these last couple seasons. We're really excited for this next phase of Dungeons and & Drama Nerds and can't wait to share it with you. We'll be going off the air for a couple weeks, but we'll be back in your feeds by the end of July. And hey, we might even see some of you at our presentation about tabletop role-playing games as shared dramaturgy at the LMDA conference, that is the Literary Managers and Dramaturgs of the Americas conference, in Philly on July 23rd. We'll be running a number of one-shots for newbies and pros alike, and then discussing the overlap between theater and tabletop role-playing games for our colleagues. And with that, see you next time on Dungeons and Dramaturgs. <laughs> Dungeons and Dramaturgs is produced by Todd Brian Backus, Percival Hornack, and Nicholas Orvis, and is mixed and edited by Anthony Sertel-Dean. If you'd like to help us continue exploring the intersection of theater and tabletop role-playing games, consider leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice or supporting us and getting access to our patron-only bonus content at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddramanerds. You can find our social media and website links, including our cast bios at the link tree in our show notes. Be sure to tune in later in the summer for season three of Dungeons and Dramanerds. Nerds.